begging for treats. Guaranteed to be friendly? <laughs> Call me. Call me. Seriously. Oh. Don't squeeze her. Not so often. I'll let y'all decide which is the, the sheep side and which is the goat side. So, ah, so it's hard to it's hard to put that in the context when Jesus said, you know, put you out with the goats. Uh, and he meant it in a bad way. Uh, but Amen, Opal. I'm glad you were here with us. <coughs> Opal. <coughs> Amen. Because y'all aren't going to listen to anything I have to say anyway, because I could like, say some really strange things right now, and nobody would even notice, except that it's being recorded. Uh, so that would be the only way. Why? Because the shiny thing gets our attention, right? The, the loudest voice gets our attention, right? The, and the problem with that is, is that the loudest voice, the, the shiniest thing in the room that gets our attention, tends to be the thing that, we, that influences what we do, right? If it, I assume that we're not going to leave here acting like goats, but, uh, but you, yeah. The fact of the matter is that, that what and who you listen to determines what you do. It influences what you do, the how you live your life. Amen. Even, even Opal agreed. Thank you, Opal, for the backup. She wants to stay with us. Thank you very much. Amen. So I shared with them that today we're looking, usually you and I, those of you, if you're here, you're a Christian, right? Hey, you like being a Christian? Amen? Uh, you raise your hand, you like being a Christian? Yeah? Okay. All right. You kind of, uh, you enjoy that, right? It feels good. It, it's, it's a good part of your life, right? Amen? Amen? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. All right. But what if we, what if we mess up? Right? Because... The things that we, we love, the things that we really enjoy being a part of, the things that we want to, uh, the, the best parts of us, right? It's really easy for us to become prideful about those things, isn't it? Even our Christianity, I would say. Even our faith, the thing that, that really, you and I have no claim to it at all. It's all a gift, like Jesus blessed us. But, and yet still, we have the ability to take something that was a complete gift for us and we get prideful of it. We see that in the lives of the disciples. They struggle with this pride, this, this relationship they have with Jesus, and how it shows itself in the, today's text. is four different little episodes that we see. Just to kind of flash back, you know, Jesus has um, fed the 5,000, right? He's taught miracles. He's, he's taken the disciples and he's taken, he sent them out to go and heal, to do miracles. They all come back, and after he's after his teaching, he takes the three of them up on the mountain, and he reveals himself. He, re, he reveals himself to be glorified, 
radiates from inside out. They see that. They experience that. While, while they were away, something else was going on back down at the bottom of the mountain. And that's where we are in today's text. So the first thing we see in these, these four episodes is the power failure that happens while Jesus is away. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd had And just as an aside, that's usually how, our lives are usually in cycles, right? Sometimes we're up on the mountain and everything is great. Then when you come off the mountain, everything gets ugh, right? You've been there? Right? We, we know that our lives have cycles to them. So if you're up and everything's great, buckle your seat, right? If you're down in the pit and everything is just terrible, then it's time to look up. Refashion some hope into your life. Those things are about to change. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him, and, so, and he suddenly screams and throws himself into convulsion so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him, and is destroying him. And I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't do it. generation. Perverse in the New Testament, that doesn't mean what we think of. We, we put the sexual context into it. All it means is misbelieving generation. Misbelieving generation. How long will I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. There's a little bit of exasperation in Jesus' voice. Right? Really, guys? Come on. Bring your son here. Even while the boy was still coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. While everyone was marveling at all Jesus did, he took his disciples aside and picked that up. As followers of Jesus, you and I, we fall into the same hold of these disciples. These nine who got left behind, you know, they, they had just been sent out by Jesus to go and heal, to do miracles, and, and they went out and they did it. They come back, they, they spend some more time with Jesus, then Jesus and a few of the disciples go up on the mountainside, leaving them down in the city with all the people, and all of a sudden, they're unsure. They lack faith. They're unable. Because that's what disciples do. We often fail to rely on the spiritual resources that God has given us. We often do this. Right? You and I, we, we do this too. This isn't just something the disciples did way back then. That's what I love about this text today is that and we have to see ourselves in it. We, I, I encourage you to see yourself in it. And to see how Jesus would interact with you in this story. Me in this story. That's where I put myself in here all week long. I mean, they had been sent away with power, and now they were unable to perform. The dad, <laughs> I love what he said in, in the Gospel of Mark. He said, yeah, if you can. He said, Jesus, if you can heal him. Jesus says, if I can. If everything is possible for one who believes. He's kind of pointing more towards his disciples. Right? Everything is possible. Immediately the boy's father said, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief.
it was a, this is an issue of faith. This is an issue of faith that Jesus was confronting him. His disciples later on, you know, they would they would ask Jesus. Jesus would have a conversation with them later on, and they would say, Jesus, why couldn't we do that? Why couldn't we heal? I mean, we you had sent us out and we'd gone out with power and we'd done miracles, and now we come back. You're away again. We're not with you. And now we're unable to perform. We're unable to do what you called us to do. Why? Jesus says, this is in Mark chapter 9. He says, this kind can come out only by prayer. You guys weren't praying. Right? Because when it's something you've already done, right, Jesus sent them out. And they, I mean, they were knocking it out of the park. And now they, they get an opportunity to do it again. And, and they're like, okay, well, we'll just do what we've always done. Right? We say the right words, and you're healed, and we touch them in the right way, and the Spirit moves. And now this time, somebody comes and brings maybe a little more challenging task before them, and, and they just do what they've always done and expect it to work. And, well, it didn't work. And so, well, maybe I need to change the words I say, or I need to do things different, or, or I, need to, I need to perform in a different way. Right? Isn't that what we do? When it doesn't work like it always has, we just we try harder. We try a little more. We, we do it a little different. We tweak it just a little bit, expecting it to, oh, that'll solve all the problems. Jesus is going to spiritual problem. And you weren't praying. It's a matter of faith. You weren't using the spiritual resources that you've been given is what he tells us to solve. And our discipleship is no different than theirs. Our discipleship fails when we don't rely on our heavenly resources things that God has given into our lives to help us live and be a part of the kingdom, to, to represent the kingdom here on earth. And we don't rely on We rely instead on our abilities instead of the power. <laughs> I've said it a bunch of times. I, bet you have. I, I said it just this week. I said it when I started this after I'd read a lot struggle here, I, I should pray. You ever said that? Things are so bad, I think you need to pray. You ever done that? I, yes, we have. I know we have. We have all done it, right? Like, it's, Yes, we should pray when things get bad. Absolutely. But, and we probably should have been praying from the beginning, right? It, the whole thing should have been anointed in prayer. That, that's how we connect with God. That's how we stay close to God, even when He's up away, up on the mountain. Right? That's how we stay close to God. And close to Him is where the miracles happen. It's not about us. It's about Him being at work. God being at work in this world. That's where transformation happens. We've been friends with somebody for a long time, but we've never been able to see Him come to faith in Christ. Well, I'm praying before you have the conversation. Are you asking God to lead the conversation? Is God at work? Yes. Does He want us to rely on Him? Yes. Not our abilities, but His power. Paul prayed this for the church in Ephesians chapter 1. He said, I keep asking that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know Him better. This is his prayer for us. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance, his holy people, his church. 
in his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realm, far above all rule, power, and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this age, but in the age to come. Power that worked in Jesus. Because of Jesus, the disciples had power, even though Jesus was away from them. Because of what he had done in their life, they had power. He had already given it to them. Same for us. Because of what Jesus has done in your life, you have power. I have power. Because of what Jesus has done in your life, you have power. Say that with me. Because of Jesus, because of Jesus, I have power. Because of Jesus, I have power. I'm not a weak need, unable to do anything kind of Christian. I have power because of what Jesus has done in my life. You have power because of Christ. Not just words in the Bible that sound good, but a promise from the creator of the universe that you, little old you, in a little old town like this, has power, spiritual power, to do real things in your life, in your home, in your community, in your, in your family. You have real power, spiritual power. But the disciples, we tend to forget that. We tend to forget because we're not feeling right? After Jesus healed the boy, the crowd was amazed at the miracle. But the disciples drew away with the disciples. Oh, I'm sorry. But Jesus drew away with his disciples. And to, to, to tell them again, one more time, because they'd already told them what was to come. He's going to tell them again. Verse 44. Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they didn't understand what he meant. It was hidden from them. So they didn't grasp it. And they were afraid to ask him. They didn't understand, and they were too afraid to ask, to admit that they didn't understand. Did Jesus know they didn't understand? Yes. Right? It was hidden from them. Spiritually, it was hidden from them. They didn't, they didn't get it, and Jesus knew they didn't get it. And he also knew that they were afraid to ask. People were amazed. They probably cheered when they really got up and walked back to the stand, right? Everybody in town was like, wow, God is great. That is awesome. Right? Everybody's cheering. Everybody's like, yay, go Jesus. Jesus tells his disciples, guys, don't fall for it. Do not fall for it. It may look like everything is great, but it's not. It may look like things are going fine, but it's not. The reality is that those same folks will turn on you. I'm going to be delivered over into the hands of men. The disciples, they didn't understand. And yet they said, wow, wow, Jesus. And they get right on going, right? You ever do that? Like, I don't really understand, but yeah, 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 right, Jesus. Woohoo! yeah. What's that? What else are we going to do? Right? We don't really understand. We have questions, but we don't ask. We're not... We don't understand how salvation works sometimes. And so, so we don't, but we don't ask because oh, I should already know that. So the disciples is pride, right? Pride, they wouldn't ask. They were willing to go ahead without understanding. 
coaching uh, sports, it's you always, always, always see this. It's funny. Every day it happens, right? You, you ask a kid, you know, do you know how to do this? And they're like, oh, yeah. And you watch them, and you're like, I have no clue. Like, why don't you just tell me instead of wasting all our time? Like, why don't you just say, I don't, I don't know. It's fine, get out, get somebody in who does, right? Otherwise, you're just it's ridiculous. The, the pride forces us to, uh, I can't, can't say I don't know. And we don't. Our discipleship fails when we don't seek to understand, see? That, that's how they fail. Acting without understanding. And the reality is, the disciples, Jesus knew the disciples knew that his ways are greater than our ways, that we're not going to understand everything fully. Right? We don't understand it. Scripture, Proverbs 3 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but trust his. So when we get to a place where we don't fully understand things, what are our options? Well, I stand there and understand, or I can fake it until I make it, right? And which one do we usually choose? Fake it until we make it. Usually we, uh, well, i got to be doing something. I can't just sit there and act like I don't know nothing. I've got to be busy doing something, even though it, it may not be the right thing, but at least I'm doing something, right? And that's what we give ourselves credit for, or at least we try. When, when God says, oh, come on, come on, ask me, he says. Don't, don't, be, don't let pride keep you from asking the question. Monday night we have a small group that meets up at church, and, and we started talking about uh, controversial issues. So that we would know what does the Bible say about this? The whole point was whether we agree with it or not, but we would know what God says. But I mean, hot topic buttons, you know, guns and abortion and war and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, like, like what, what does the Bible say about this? What does God say about those things? Because my thinking about it doesn't, doesn't shape God's view, right? The way I think about it, it might just show me that off track. I don't understand. And it's okay to not understand. Not okay. Make it to God. And ask to then find the answer here. In God's word. often just get busy instead of leaving. What disciples do, right? We're all we're supposed to be about the kingdom, about the work of the kingdom. And so we get busy. And even when we get to doing the things of God, it's easy for our devotion. Hear this now, church. Some of you feel like I'm stepping on your toes here today. Some of you, some of the times we feel, I feel, like my devotion turns into ambition. Devotion turns into ambition. What do I mean by that? I mean, it sort of sneaks up on us, right? Jesus was telling the disciples in, in verse 46, he, he calls them out. He says, an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Like, seriously, I mean, it's hard to imagine they would even argue about this. But they are. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this child 
in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For this, for it is the one who is least among you who is the greatest. That's who's the greatest, the least. Master, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name. We tried to stop him because he's not one of us. Don't stop him. For whoever is not against us, against you, is for you. On the, when we, on the greatest meter, right? You know, if you have that meter in your car, the greatest meter. And, and Jesus, it's a Jesus greatest meter, right? Like, where would, if Jesus is 10, where do you even fall on that meter? Like, does the needle even move? Like, it doesn't. The meter, the needle doesn't even, like, give a little vibration when it says, what about Gary? It's flat, right? It doesn't even, because it, on that scale of things. And yet, here's the disciples arguing about who's the greatest. It's kind of mind-boggling. When we serve to lift him up, that's it. A disciple served to lift Jesus up. And yet, what happens when we lift Jesus up high and I'm close to Jesus? Where does that put me? Up here, right? Up here. And we know that's like, that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. And yet, that's what we do all along. That's how it works out. But let me tell you, for example, right? Let's say today after church, you hang around, everybody's gone. You don't know everybody's gone. You just walk around, and you're like, everybody left. I didn't know everybody left. And you say, well, before I go up, go home, I'm running here to the bathroom. You go in the bathroom, it's kind of a mess. And you're like, wow, I'm here all by myself. Maybe I should just clean the bathroom. So you do. You, you go and you find all the stuff and start cleaning the bathroom. And, and you're in there cleaning away, and you're singing, and you're praying. And you're like, wow, this is great. But, I'm going to start doing this every Sunday. I'm not, I'm just here. So, like, like, you take that on as an act of worship. Like, that's, you really felt like God connected with you there. Like, you're serving and nobody knows. It's just you and the Lord, and it's special. And then, you go to a, you hear about a, a business meeting, a board meeting here at church. They got talking about how, how they decided that, Somebody should be paid to clean the bathroom. You hear that. You're like, they didn't value what I did? They didn't appreciate what I was doing for nothing. Like, they, they didn't think I was doing a job. Right? All of a sudden now it's about you. What started out is a way to serve God and love God and just help your church and bless somebody. I'm not asking you to clean the bathrooms. For the record, I'm not asking you to stay and clean the bathroom. Because the person who does it would probably be offended. But what I'm saying is that that's what happens to us, right? Somebody takes our ministry and starts doing it in a different way, and all of a sudden we're like, ooh, that was mine. Was it really? Was it really your ministry? Or was it for God? Who was it for? Discipleship. We often elevate ourselves. Even without wanting to, even without intending to, it just kind of happens. You've been there? You ever been there? I think that you've been around long enough you've been there. It hurts. We take offense. Just like these disciples. Like, hey, you're doing something in your name and they're not one of us. Jesus saw this in his disciples. He had been teaching them all along that, that the way to true greatness is surrender. It's something we just read last week in, in Luke 9, 23, when, when Jesus said, 
Whoever wants to be one of my disciples must deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow him. We know this, right? If you're a follower of Jesus, you know that that's what Jesus said. You've got to surrender. And yet, we're learning it all along the way. We know it, but we don't know it. Because we have trouble living it. Right? We're learning this all along. What makes your life great? What makes my life worth anything is what I give my life to. What you give your life to is what makes your life great. And the greatest thing you can give your life to is the kingdom. It. So for us, when we start to hear ourselves or someone we love, right, talk about their ministry or their life or their vocation, right, we need it in a loving way to be able to remind them, especially particularly if they're a follower of Christ, we need to remind them somehow that it's supposed to be all about God. That as a follower of Jesus, it's about surrender. That it's not your vocation. It's your surrender. It's not your ministry. It's it's your call. It's not, it's, it's not about me. It's not about you. So make it easy. It's that simple. It continues with the fourth episode here where we see opposition to Jesus stepping up. Verse 51, at that time, as the time approached, I'm sorry, for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Okay, this is the... This is the swing in the gospel text, right? Where everything changes from, from Jesus, the crowds, Jesus, the disciples. Now everything kind of turns in direction. Now it's Jesus and his disciples going to Jerusalem. Jesus knows what's about to happen. He's been telling them, I'm going, I'm going to be handed over into the hands of men, right? He just told them. He sent messengers ahead of him who went into the Samaritan village to get things ready for him. Not sure why they went into Samaria, because it's kind of out of the way, but that's the way Jesus traveled but the people there, the people in Samaria, they didn't like Jews. They didn't welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. They thought he was coming to them. What about them either? When the disciples, James and John, they saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven, call fire from heaven down to destroy them? <laughs> but Jesus turned and rebuked them. He didn't like he didn't hear what are y'all talking about? And he and his disciples, they went to another village. What's happening here? The disciples were Jesus' defenders. That's how they saw them. They were the defenders of the gospel, of the church. Like, that's how we see ourselves. We're the we're defenders of the faith. That's how they understood their role, Right? So they were taking it seriously. They were going to defend Jesus. When people are against Jesus, they're going to be like, no, 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 you don't know who this is. They judged the people of Samaria through human eyes, right? Not through God's perspective. Because what did the people of Samaria need? Salvation. They needed salvation. They needed the gospel. Yes, they may have been against Jesus, but what did they really need? What they needed was Jesus, the one they were against. Our discipleship fails, you see, with whole grace. These unbelievers, they deserve grace. Get that? They deserve grace. Grace is kind of an oxymoron, right? Because grace is unmerited, undeserved favor. It's, it's God's favor that, that we didn't earn, right? And yet, God gives it to us anyway. And 
here I am saying that unbelievers deserve grace because unbelievers are the ones that Jesus died for. And if I withhold grace from the very ones that God came to save, what am I doing, right? I'm, I'm off track, right? You follow that? Like, that's what they were doing. They were withholding Jesus from those people in Samaria. They wanted to kill him. They don't deserve you, Jesus. They do. That's the whole point. Jesus tried to explain this in Matthew 13. He tells several parables about the kingdom of God. In Matthew 13, 47, he tells this one. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake of all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. They sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but they threw the bad fish away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the unrighteous, from the righteous, and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yeah. Again, he told the same parable, in, or the same similar story he told in, in verse 25 of Matthew 13, where he said, where he told the story about a farmer who went out and planted his seed, and then at night his enemy came and planted weed. Right? He planted weed seed in his field. And the farmer said, well, what am I supposed to do? Do I pull up all the weeds? He said, no, no, no. Just let them grow. And he sorted out at the harvest. Same message. Right? Sorted out at the end. You don't have to judge people in the live right now, in the present. You know, there's plenty of time for that. That'll be sorted out at the end. Because it's not my job, it's not your job, to judge people. Yes, we make judgments. Hear me now. Yes, we make judgments. Yes, we have opinions and beliefs, but my, but my first move is to love. My first move is grace. Regardless of how I feel about the situation, what's the only thing that's going to change a person? God, right? The only thing that's going to change the heart of man is God. So how, how can I best do that? Is it God just telling them, oh, you're wrong. God, send down a lightning bolt, burn them up, kill them. No. It's to tell the truth. Them no matter what. Even if they disagree. Even if they, especially if they disagree. To love them anyway. I'll, I'll tell you, I'm a, I am firmly convinced in my faith that I'm a, I'm a orthodox, traditional follower of Wesleyan, right? I believe there's hope for everybody. I believe we are called to holiness. But if I come to someone who, someone comes into my life and and they disagree with me, I'm not going to withhold love from them. Absolutely not. I'm going to put up with them whatever they have. No matter their issue. I'm going to strive to put up with the tolerated, the, not just the tolerated, actually love them in spite of them. Trusting that God will work through my love to bring transformation into their life. That they would see Jesus in the way we love our neighbors who we firmly disagree with the way we we're supposed to live our lives. That's the mission. That's the call that God has. My job is to love people and to accept Jesus, knowing that He's the one that can change their lives. Sometimes that love may feel like judgment, but I, I'm desperate to not make it feel that way. I don't want it to feel like judgment. I want it to feel like their love no matter what. 
that that love drives you to want to be holy, to look after how can I become more like Christ? Our discipleship fails when we when we don't when we fail to rely on our heavenly resources. Our discipleship fails when we act without seeing, seeking to understand. Our discipleship fails when we elevate ourselves. Our discipleship fails when we withhold grace from others. Our discipleship fails when we neglect the voice of Jesus. When we instead choose to listen to ourselves, our thoughts, our world, our neighbors, opinions of others, when we fail to listen to Jesus, when we, when, we, when we move away from Him so far that we can't hear His voice anymore. He says, be, be near me. That's where the power is. That's where the, that's where the understanding is. That's where the grace is. That's where everything we need is here with me. How do we do this? How do we do this? How do we live this life? We have to be near to Jesus. Right? That's why I love what Jesus asks us to say. Back to the very beginning. When they, when they couldn't heal, when they couldn't perform the miracle, what did he say to them? How long am I going to have to stay with you? How long am I going to have to put up with you? How long are you going to need Jesus? Let me ask you that today. How long are you going to need Jesus? Are you going to get to the point where you no longer need him? No, right? We're not going to get to the point where we no longer need him. He's going to have to stay with us forever. Sorry, Jesus, but your church is a life sentence. But he's, we're always going to need him. We, we never get to the point where my discipleship doesn't really, I, I'm good. I'm good. No, we're never, we never arrive. We're always on the way. What scripture refers to as sanctification, right? That we're being made holy. We're moving closer to Jesus. It's a journey. And some days we fail, just like these disciples. Some days we don't we don't measure up. But we get up. We follow. Taking our cross with us. We'll never arrive at the point where we need Jesus. Matter of fact, we need him more today than we did yesterday. Yesterday's over. We're desperate for him today. In our church, in our lives, in our marriages, in our, in our families, in our workplaces. We're desperate. Pray you. Pray you see yourself as Jesus does. One who needs him. 24-7. Amen. Can I pray for you? Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you show us the truth of your word, Lord, that we do need you. That we're so desperate for you, that we're unable to perform without you. God, I thank you that you're always willing to be with us. That you don't withhold yourself from us, Lord. That even if here in this room today, we're, we're, we're saying, I don't know if this Christianity thing is for real. Like, I don't know if this is something I should even, like, try. God, I ask you to reveal yourself, even in this moment. That our desperation for an answer is revealed in Christ. You are the answer to, to the making sense of this world that we so want. Help us. Meet us here. Use us as your church, empowered by your spirit, God, to make a difference here in this world. 
invite you. Come on, are you? You're coming up. Um, those of you who are coming over for a cookout today, yes, we're still going to have it, and we're planning to have it outside. Uh, if not, we'll make up plans. But regardless, uh, growing in your faith, uh, staying connected to God, that's the key. Where do you do, how do you do that? So book you probably have around the house. If you don't want to have one, then tell me. Uh, I'll even say you can probably take one out of church sanctuary here. We'll get another one, but uh, I'll give you mine. Get in God's Word. Spend time in God. Get to know Him. Right? Allow Him to speak to you. Allow Him to correct you where you're off base. Allow Him to teach you. Let us not become so prideful in our faith, in our relationship with Jesus, that He can't teach us anymore. Amen, church? Thank you, Lord. Well, I can tell you that I uh, <clears throat> had a lot of things to think about from that sermon uh, more than more than just one point in my life thank you pastor for that uh, our last song is I hope I get it right 377 it is well with my soul please stand as you can like a river attendeth my way when spirit